Hello to everyone tuning into the Highly Optimized Podcast today. My name is Ryan Sprague, and throughout this podcast, I will be showcasing conscious leaders who are living a life beat of their own drum, sharing their stories, and revealing their valuable information for you listeners on how you can effectively take life into your own control, what steps to take to create your own path, and how to maximize your ability to lead and manifest your dreams in this reality. Anyone who has been listening to this show for some time now has heard me speak to my love for organic cannabis and my passion for helping others learn how to cultivate organic cannabis in order to foster a deeper connection, both with the plant and the earth as a whole. I truly believe that if each of us makes even a 1% effort to do our part in farming our foods and cannabis organically, we could revolutionize the world and begin to reverse the damage that has been done to our topsoils stemming from conventional farming practices. Today's guest in the show is a man who, when I first saw at a local music festival, I was blown away by his breakdancing and fire spinning skills. This being said, imagine my surprise when I walked into an organic cannabis cultivation conference began chatting with a gentleman about his journey as an entrepreneur into the legal industry in Maine and realized it was the same person I had seen fire spinning and breakdancing back a couple of years prior. As usually happens with synchronicities like that one, him and I continued to chat afterward and ended up attending a five-day Korean natural farming workshop together. And since then, we have both dove into cannabis and organic farming in our own ways and continue to nerd out together regarding the latest news in organic farming cannabis genetics, and much, much more. So with all of that being said, please give me a big hand and welcome my man, Quinn Caliendo, to the show. Quinn, what's up, bro? How's it going, man? Thanks for having me on, Ryan. This is awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. This is a long time coming, man. You know, as I said in the intro, I still remember being so perplexed. And I talk a lot, you know, on both of my shows about the idea of life itself becoming a psychedelic experience. And that was one of them for me. When I'm like, wait a minute, dude, you know who you look like? You look like this guy that fire spins. You're like, yeah, that's me. I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) that was still the most wild thing. (laughs) So cool. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah, rarely, like the people that know me for fire spinning don't usually know me for weed growing and vice versa. Uh, So it's really cool when when the bridges cross and it's like, yeah, we're both sides of the bridge. What's up? Yes. It's so amazing, Uh, man. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny because I remember after that, after we met at the conference, it was some amount of months later, because I think that was in March. And then this must have been in like August. I remember we met up, I think it was at Kind Mind in Maine. And I remember we saw you in passing, me and Rachel, we were going to get food or something in the morning. And you were like, hey, are you going to Chris Trump's thing in Connecticut? And we had already gone on like so many adventures that year. I think we had gone to Shambhala and a bunch of other festivals. And we kind of looked at each other and you were like, dude, you got to go. And I was like, all right, fuck it. We're going. And so then we ended up, you know, uh, asking you where you were staying. And you were like, oh, I'm just staying with some, you know, random people that I've never really met before. And we were like, cool, let's do it. So I remember staying in that house, man. So much fun, dude. It's like one of my favorite memories, man. It's just that entire KNF experience was so magical. Because you're working with the earth, you're getting to hang out with other growers. I mean, most of the people there were in cannabis of some sort. But the fact that we got to hang in that house and all get to connect every single night, it was so much fun, dude. And that's just, and we'll get into this, even though you don't partake in, you know, the intoxicating side of cannabis, you were rolling us joints left and right. And I think it's honestly amazing (laughs) that that you can do that because, you know, here we are all feeling the effects and being really nicely medicated. And you're like, here's another one. Here's another one. I'm like, man, this is amazing. <laughs> Having someone sober around that can do these things. <laughs> it was so cool, man. So, you know, I'm interested for you, you know, there's so many different rabbit holes we can get in here, but 
I think the, the, the part that I'd like to start with is what originally got you into cultivating cannabis, you know, cause of course we'll get into where you're, where you're at now in the legal industry in Maine, but what got you immediately interested in getting into growing cannabis? Yeah. So, I mean, I always was like trying to grow weed very unsuccessfully. I remember in high school, like <laughs> looking up to Barney's farm seeds and being like, oh, I want to get the cheese and the pineapple express and trying to grow seeds in the woods in high school when it not working at all because you're in the woods and there's no light. And first time I grew weed was in California. I just threw some seeds on the side of a river bank and like mm. basically came back a few months later and harvested some weed that was like pretty decent for free mm. weed. And then, you know, after that, it was like the gears were turning and I kind of, I had to reassimilate back to my regular life, but I always had that like thing in the corner of my mind, like I could grow weed and that could pay for me to learn how to grow all these other plants. Mm. And like, I just, I saw it as like a bridge to a homestead kind of thing. Mm. Like that's the plant that can, that wants to, and can make it possible for me to like learn how to steward the earth pay for, you know, the property. I want to grow other plants on. Like it really was like alluring from the fact that I've always been crazy in love with all the smells and all the flavors and paid a lot of attention to the structure and all these things, even after I stopped smoking. Mm. Um, but that kind of like homestead, like bridge, it just seemed like the, the plant that could get me a homestead. And I think we formed a really strong bond over that. Yes, 100%, man. You know, it's so cool because, you know, I see a lot of similarities within our collective dream of, you know, what we got into. I mean, my first, you know, plant I ever grew was literally me throwing a, a handful of bag of seeds down and they were in an area that I could go visit. So I, I saw one come up and I was just crossing my fingers the whole time. I had no fucking idea what I was doing. And I was so grateful that it turned out to be female, right? Because I mean, for all I know, it was, you know, a hermaphrodite, uh, you know, bag of cannabis I took the seed out of. And so it was already feminized, but it made me feel like I really, you know, lucked out because one sprouted, it was a female. It grew to like eight feet tall. I got like three or four ounces off it. And I felt like the absolute king. I was like, this is amazing. amazing. You know, because when you're younger, right. And you can't just afford three or four ounces. You know, it was, it was pretty amazing that happened. And, you know, I remember having that same itch after that and being like, you know, like at that point, the only way that, you know, really cannabis existed in terms of an industry was going to California. And so nothing had started in New England yet. And so I remember it was just a really big pipe dream at that point where I was like, man, it'd be really cool to do this. And then all of a sudden, 2012 comes around and they legalize medical. And I'm like, oh, shit, this might actually happen on here. And then that this might turn into it's happening out here. And then, of course, you know, with uh, Massachusetts, big MSOs came in and you know, all the Walmart weed got overpopulated and, you know, those things kind of things happen. That's why I love Maine because, you know, Maine, it seems like, you know, again, I don't go up there as much as obviously you live there, but it seems like they've been able to keep out a lot of those MSOs and keep it more mom and pop feel and really boutique -y and uh, high quality, but still for really, really good prices. And I'm curious, like, is that accurate? Because I know it was accurate at some point, but I'm curious having you, you know, you being in the industry, have they still been able to keep out those MSOs and all those bigger companies? Yeah, they definitely, there definitely like is a presence of uh, some of these MSOs and it hasn't strong armed the market away from the mom and pop. Like they're yes. kind of, as of right now, they're all kind of existing in tandem mm -hmm. and not to say that there isn't, uh, there isn't pushback and fight and some don't hurt others, but uh, you, yeah, you definitely have like a, a, 
I, I would say like right now, I would kind of call it a balance. It's more of like a war, but <laughs> you, do have, you do have a lot of mom and pops, a lot of like medium sized grows that are mm. that like I have respect for where they were, you know, they were black market. They did a good job in the gray market. They transitioned over. Now they have 50 lights and they're yeah. like pretty big, but they're not. You know they're not big like like those places in mass. I mean, you guys have some some huge oh, places, California. Ridiculous. So there's a lot of that, like what I consider to be a large farm, but what mm-hmm. large farms think of as a small farm, like that kind of you know fifty light size farm is pretty mm-hmm. normal. And uh, yeah, quality is. I mean, compared to other states, I would say generally, if you buy five jars of weed, like four out of five of them are going to be as good as the best jar or the best two jars in most other states. Like there's mm-hmm. there's just a there's bad weed everywhere. There's good weed everywhere, but generally you can find more good weed easier in Maine. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Like I've had many people say, um, my buddy, John is famous for saying this too, that honestly, I mean, I've been to most legal States. I've been to Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, Arizona, uh, Colorado. I've been to pretty much all the places and nothing beats Maine. And it's very interesting because the other cool thing about Maine. And I think the really cool thing about like colder places is that like, you got to be ingenuitive, right? Like you got to try some things out. You got to be a real hustler to be able to like get cannabis, which is a tropical plant to grow in a place that like has snow like Maine gets. Right. And so I really feel like to do that, you can't just be in it for the money. You have to have a passion. Right. And I feel like that's one of the things where of course there's passion for cannabis in every state, but overall, most of the people I meet in Maine, I just feel like they're like, no, I just, I love doing this. I happen to be able to make money in the legal industry doing it, but I just love it. And that's why I'm doing it. You know, the day that I stop loving it, I'll stop doing it. I'm not doing it for any other reason other than I love it. And similar to you, it's like, it's part of their holistic puzzle of like the farmstead growing everything organically, you know, making sure everything is sustainable and, you know, working with the earth. And then of course, cannabis is a, is a player in that puzzle. And so it's really cool, man. And, you know, I'm interested to hear now, when did you get into organic farming and how did that start for you? Right. Like, was it using organic ball of nutrients first? Did you start right out in like the, you know, no-till type growing, you know, what was that journey like? Cause did you use salts at one point? Like, I'm curious to hear that. Yeah. So when I was 17, I had wrestled for most of my childhood. I was very, uh, I was like varsity all four years in high school. I had a winning record all four years. That was kind of like what I did. Um, that was all I did. I didn't even try at school after a certain point. I just smoked <laughs> weed and wrestled, right? Um, but uh, basically, I got I got um, I got a staph infection and got all and basically they gave me the wrong antibiotics. I had to end up taking back to back antibiotic doses while cutting weight to make my mm. weight class for wrestling. And ended up by the end of that season, um, I had my first colonoscopy and was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Mm. Um, so I, uh, at age 17, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and, uh, weed really helped with that. I didn't realize this at the time, but every time I would stop smoking weed, I would start getting sicker. Long, long story short, I eventually stopped smoking weed, started getting really sick, went to the doctors and they were giving me steroids and really just not fucking helping. So after my second colonoscopy, maybe like 23, yeah, something like 23, 24, I basically just gave up on them. Uh, I did some juicing of some cannabis that really helped and Mm -hmm. ended up had a buddy that was like, yo, you should try this green drink. And I was like, I don't even know what this is, but it started helping. Then I started realizing that what was helping was the probiotics. And then Mm -hmm. I started going down this really big wormhole of probiotics that over the next couple of years brought me to labs, which brought me to 
Elaine Ingham, Korean Natural Farming, Master Tro, Chris Trump, this whole uh, probiotic farmer alliance page on Facebook and through labs and my search for probiotics and nutritionally dense food, because I felt like that's what made me sick was the lack of nutritional density that we kind of have in all, you know, our Doritos and our Gushers that we were all mm. eating as kids grows up, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. We just ate it eating chemicals. Um, so, <laughs> that, so I was kind of on this hunt for like, what is real food? How do you grow real food? And why am I sick? And uh, so that is actually the way I got to organic. So like cannabis and Korean natural farming, they blossomed into my life at the same time. So I've never, other than those few seeds I threw in the ground on a river in California, I've never grown weed without KNF. Mm. And I've never really done KNF without weed. So it's like, to me, these <laughs> things aren't separate. Like, I think a lot, a lot of people are like, how do I add KNF to weed? And I'm just like, I don't even know how you do them separately. So, <laughs> um, so, so with that, I had a lot of failure because they're both very difficult things. And I didn't have a lot of like knowledge or places to start or advice. So I, there was a lot of like shooting in the dark and trial and error at the beginning for sure. Mm, that's amazing, man. You know, it's so cool because of course, you know, I see you today, right? Doing what you do and it's amazing. But like hearing your backstory, this is why I love doing this podcast because I get to hear so many cool backstories of, you know, again, like at any point, you know, you could have seen those events happening as like, fuck, this sucks. And I'm just going to give up completely on trying to fix it or anything. But you were like, nope, I'm persistent. I'm going to find the things that aren't going to just numb out the problem, but actually going to fix the problem. You know, it's really interesting that, you know, you noticed even at the young age that you were at at that time that, you know, as you stopped smoking weed, you're like, why is this getting worse now? Right. And of course, we know what digestive issues. Cannabis is one of the best things. And, you know, I say all the time, cannabis isn't a cure all. I mean, it just so happens it can, you know, help a lot of things, which is hilarious, but you know, it's not necessarily a cure all, but especially with digestive things, it can help so much, you know, and of course there's, you know, challenges of people overusing and whatnot, but, you know, in terms of, you know, safety, it's a pretty damn safe plant, no matter, you know, so long as you're not doing anything really stupid on it. But with how I started growing, I used bottle nutrients once and, uh, and it was the worst, <laughs> it was the worst result ever. It was like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing either. So my dad bought me a kit once medical got legalized. I got my medical card. And so I tried one grow with uh, the, the, the nutrients they sent me. And I, dude, I, I must've let some uh, eight week finisher go about 18 to 20 weeks. Like, because when I actually touched the nugs, dude, they would just turn in the dust. <laughs> like I'll remember oh. that image forever. It was really funny. And so after that, I found the New England, the New England Grassroot Institute, which was a school down here that was teaching cannabis cultivation and history and all this stuff. And then from there, I got into organic uh, soil and started just using base soil mixes. But I didn't get into KNF, man, until uh, I would say, yeah, it must have been 2018, right around there, you know, because uh, I had heard about it. Obviously, I think the first time I really got into it, I was, uh, I think it was 2017. I was doing a lot of research. I worked at the dispensary at that point, And anytime it was dead, I would just be on Grass City looking up stuff constantly. And I heard a lot of stuff about this guy, Chris Trump. And so I started looking them up and then like next year, the organic regenerative soil conference happened. And so I went to that uh, and that's where I met up with you. And it was just like, whoa, my world was blown open. Then I meet my buddy uh, who, you know, too, actually uh, my good friend, David Hoover, who uh, creates uh, ferments and things. And so I was super busy with work, you know, and I was like, well, I made a bunch, but they're running low. So where do I get more? So I hit him up and I was like, hey, do you have any that you, you know, that, that you could sell? And he was like, sure. 
So he hooks me up with FPJs, FFJs, the whole thing, like a lot of things that I just wasn't making. I was making FPJs and FFJs, but like WSK, like water soluble potassium, I wasn't making that and all these things that I hadn't made yet. So then I really started diving into it. And I mean, the results have been nothing short of incredible. And I mean, for me, it really makes a lot of sense. And I just saw an actual scientific study released about this from my buddy Ben out in California, where he was saying that I heard this, I think, at the conference, but I don't know if they had actually done a study on it yet, where essentially a higher fungal dominance in soil creates a higher amount of secondary metabolites. Have you heard that before? Is it Was that at that conference that they said that? So I have heard things like that said, I haven't looked into the parameters of the experiment at all. Mm. Like I don't, I don't contextually know how they mm. derive that information, but I have heard that statement, which is. Mm. Really cool. Yeah. You know, the other day I saw a study and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I saved it. I'll send it to you after, because I was like, finally, I don't know if this was ever proved before I heard people talking about it and it seemed legit. Like I was like, oh, in theory, that makes sense, you know, but, but essentially what they were saying is that you know, this fungal dominance, which you get a lot with KNF. I mean, I've had, you know, mushrooms growing out of my soil, right? Non-psychedelic, of course, for everyone listening, just mushrooms in general. But I mean, it's pretty cool. You know, when you go to your pots or your beds and you see mushrooms growing, you're like, man, that's a fungally dominant soil. And I mean, the terpene, you know, uh, expression is just wild. Are you uh, testing any of your stuff? Have you found any like terpene numbers? I don't know if Maine requires that kind of stuff, but I'm just curious. Are you testing and figuring out how much total volume terpenes you have? So I, um, I'm not huge on analytics. I'm mm. more experientially testing on different mm-hmm. spectrums of people. Um, but I did, yeah, I had something I won, like, uh, I think I got like 17th place a few mm. years back at the high 95 cup and they tested that. And, um, I don't remember what the actual numbers are, but I could bring them up, but I, you mm. know, it was, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty high. It was definitely uh, fairly good to get me in the top ranks or whatever, but, um, mm. I more focus on like the, not how much red you put in a painting, but how much red you see when you look at the painting. Right. Yes. Um, not to say that both are super important. Um, but, uh, I, I, I think uh, sometimes the cart gets put before the horse, you know? Yes. Um, but I would like to get more of that data. It's just, um, it's not a way I can divide my time and finances at this moment, but as some, as some new places open up closer to me, I am looking forward to being able to like get everything analyzed and put that into the data pool that I can pick apart. So. What is up, everybody? I hope you were all enjoying the show. And I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches to build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done-for-you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now, as a former online fitness coach, Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now, you guys know that delegation is a business superpower, and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, dot com, so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out, and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience develop our brand identity, 
build and design a custom branded web page, professionally edit our program video content, custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now, and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, dot com, and book your complimentary call today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show, and I'm wishing you the best day ever. Yeah, man, I'm the exact same way as you. Like, I'm much more experiential. Like, you know, every once in a great while, like a couple of years ago, I entered the Harvest Cup here because I was like, well, why not? It was like, I don't know, 100 bucks an entry. I was like, screw it. Let's just see. You know, and so I think I had some jelly sickle that tested around 23. They didn't do a terpene test. And I honestly could care less about cannabinoid testing. I'm like, I think one of the biggest thirst traps in the uh, whole world of cannabis is people thinking like, well, like you were saying, put the cart before the horse, before the horse. Like it's one thing to find a strain you like and then be like, why do I like it? And then go into the numbers and go, oh, well, it has this amount of THC combined with this amount, you know, THCV or whatever it is, these terpenes. But like the people that would come into the dispensary, which there were thousands of them that would do this, they would come in and be like, yeah, what's your highest THC? And they don't care about anything else. And again, no judgment. Certain people live their lives in certain ways. But, you know, I just felt like, man, you might be missing out on something so unique because, for instance, just what they found recently with THCP being something like 33 times more activating on the CB1 receptor. You know, yeah, it's fucking crazy, man. So, like, think about that. If if something has like 9% Delta 9 THC yet it has a higher amount of THCP, that thing could put you on your absolute ass and give you whatever effect you're looking for out of this 30, 35% cannabis in Delta 9. But someone who's only looking for Delta 9 will never never get to experience it because they're only looking at the numbers that are associated with Delta 9. So it's just so fascinating, man. And I think all the time that you know, even though there's so much info out there about cannabis and, you know, we have come such a far way in terms of research and science there's, I mean, we're only scratching the surface, man. Like we haven't even, we're still in Rivendell. We haven't even left the Shire yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. We, we see that too with, with Korean natural farming, where it's like all the bottle nutrients and all this NPK has all this data Mm. and they're trying to steer the conversation. And it's like, well, that's all well and cool, but experientially, you you're, you have better experiential results with with uh, biological farming practices rather than chemical farming practices. And it's yes. so it's that same kind of thing where certain people like try to grab a hold of the conversation using data and numbers, mm-hmm. um, but experientially, that stuff isn't isn't very accurate. One hundred percent. And you know, I think this is a great time for us to dive into KNF a little more heavy, you know, how, how, of course, KNF for those listening stands for Korean natural farming. But like, if I asked you, like, how do you explain KNF, right? Like, how would you explain what KNF is if I asked you? Yeah. So I would say that, um, Korean natural farming is, is a path to partnership with nature, mm-hmm. right? So you kind of have this handshake agreement with nature <laughs> that you're like, I don't understand what you do. Can you help me do it? Right. And the two, the two ways, right. So after this agreement, the two, the two tools, right. So the hammer and the screwdriver that you get from nature are biochemical biochemistry. So you Mm -hmm. get this biochemistry toolkit that is like OHN, FPJ, brown rice vinegar, all this cool biochemistry stuff. And then you get this 
uh, fungal dominant microbial full it's still it's still a full soil food web but it's a fungal dominant soil food web and you can also make korean natural farming dominant in whatever way you like by adjusting the way you do your piles and different things like that so you have this biological soil component and then you have this biochemistry foliar application component and those are kind of your two main large toolboxes or tools that you're gonna use to partnership with nature Mm, I love that, man. You know, and it's, it's so true too, right? Like there's this understanding of like, dude, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Like for nature, talking to nature and nature being like, (laughs) well, as long as you don't need to get into the nitty gritty, I can just give you the experience of how it works and give you the formulas of how it works. Right. And how to do it, but you don't need to necessarily understand what's behind it. Right. Of course, like I love nerding out on that stuff, but also I've realized within every realm I'm interested in, whether it comes to fitness, spirituality, you know, uh, ancient religions, uh, Atlantis, whatever the hell it might be. I know that no matter what I quote unquote learn, I'm not going to know, right? Like it's not about knowing. And and that's not why I learn any of these things. It's just to get curious and actually to liberate myself from the needing to know things and just actually be like, I don't understand this at all. And it's amazing that it works because if I realize that I never will know it, I'll just be able to go with levels and levels deeper. I mean, then it's really just pure magic, you know? And yeah, magic could be explained by science, but it doesn't make it any less magic. You know, it's, it's, it's really cool, you know? And the fact that the earth is doing these things and, you know, the way that I explain IMO for everyone listening, that's, that stands for indigenous microorganism is that it's almost like stem cells, right? Like where, you know, with stem cells, you're going to like your knee or your hip and you're taking out stem cells and you're injecting them into your knee that might need some attention. And with, you know, uh, IMO, you're going out in nature, you're collecting a uh, collection of the indigenous microorganisms in that area. And then you're going back to a certain area of your land that you want to use it on and you're applying it right there. And it's just like that analogy hit me one time uh, when I was connecting with cannabis and it was like, ah, it's stem cells from the earth. <laughs> and it makes so much <laughs> sense. <laughs> it's yeah, really cool. it's well said, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because you know, there's so many, like if someone, you know, in listening right now goes to look up KNF, they're going to find a lot of these different things, but you know, for you, like, are there certain, uh, components of KNF that you find yourself using more than others? And I imagine IMO will be one of these, but like, what is kind of like the cornerstone of your KNF practice? And then what are some nice to haves, but not necessarily things that you use all the time, or maybe you use everything all the time. I'm like, I'd like to hear some of that. Yeah. Yeah. So if we look at these kind of two paths, right, you have your your soil biology, which IMO4 is the apex of that. So mm. that's always, it's always the best thing to have. And then you can kind of work backwards from there. Like, oh, mm. I can't make IMO4. Okay, I'm going to use IMO3. Oh, I can't mm-hmm. make IMO3, right? And then you can you can pivot to whatever works on your farm at your time with what you have, but tricking yourself into thinking that IMO4 isn't the apex is just foolish, right? <laughs> um, so on the other road, so I'm, I'm using IMO4 to make liquid IMO or to apply dry, which I was, I'm actually doing today when, uh, mm. whenever we're, you know, done chit-chatting, no rush. <laughs> and so then the other side on the biochemistry side is these, um, is these solutions, right? So there's almost no biochemistry uh, inputs that are used by themselves. You almost never mm. use like just FPJ. You definitely never use, you can use OHN by itself, but really you have this core, this core solution. It's called a maintenance solution that mm. becomes your base solution for everything else. So, so if you take your oriental herbal nutrient, which is OHN, your, uh, your, your rice vinegar and your fermented plant juice, which is your FPJ, 
And you mix those together at a certain ratio and basically they get diluted. I mean, you're basically at three to a thousand roughly, mm -hmm. you know, not to be super accurate, but mm -hmm. you're drinking this stuff and it tastes, it has less flavor than a, than a lemon water. Right? <laughs> like, these are extremely gentle homeopathic amounts of these things that you would, you'd be like, there's no way this even does anything. Right. <laughs> so once I have that base solution, that maintenance solution, now I can put things into that communicate with my plant. So the mm. goal with some of this stuff is to be extremely direct in the way you communicate, right? Just like you would with a dog, right? You don't like shake your head no and then get mad at it and also give it a treat. It's going to get mm -hmm. all confused and it's not going to know what to do. So you want to be very direct and very careful with these inputs because they're so receptive. The way that these are all micronized into super small parts, the plants are really, really receptive to them. So what I'm generally using is a base solution with three different inputs on it, either a calcium, a calcium phosphorus, or an FAA. And mm. those are my, my three things that I'm using. And those solutions have names. Those, you know, type two is with the FAA, that's a nitrogen heavy one. And then you have your calcium phosphorus, which is the changeover solution. So in cannabis terms, you would be using that at day zero of flower, mm -hmm. and that would help your plants stretch. So as they start to stretch, around week seven into week 21, you're going to really help them out with that, boost that, and also tell them to do that earlier. So you're going to let them know that that's where they're headed in their life. And they're going to start all these metabolic processes to move in that way healthier and sooner. Um, yes. and, and the same thing with the calcium. So I'm also going to use the calcium for the later, for the bud set, the actual calyx development around the pistols. Once I know that calyx are just beginning to set and pistols are at their, you know, their initial maximum around that like 25, day 25 to day 30 on an 89 week strain, that's when I'm going to now be adding my calcium to my maintenance solution and, and spraying that. And I am super taboo and I do spray everything in flower because like I said, I'm also drinking all of this stuff. So I think people get really like, Oh, you don't spray that. And it's like, if you're drinking it, then what are you afraid of? So. Yeah. I love that, man. You know, there's, there's so many things I want to talk about. One thing I'm curious on, just as like an actual question I want to ask you is, do you use WSK at all, uh, in your, in your amendments? Because, you know, when, when we took the KNF class, Chris didn't really talk about WSK a lot, but of course Dave makes it. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to start using it. And, um, I've started using it like the last I think I use it in the last, what is it? The reproductive solution. I forget type three. I think when I'm, when I'm flowering the one with the seawater, I use it for that one. And I just add a little bit in there. And, um, I don't know if I've noticed anything necessarily. I mean, it's hard to say what individual things are doing what, but I'm curious if you've used that and what you may have noticed as a result of using it. Yeah. So I have used it. I will. Um, so these base solutions, you can add things onto as you see fit. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I will put that in kind of like my day, my day, like 25 day 30, like that application solution, I will also throw in um, that water soluble potassium. I am not sure what or if it is helping. I <laughs> think that it may help with some of the purpling of the stems. Mm. Um, but I think it's one of those things that it's a little, it's a little less of a signal. It's not, I don't feel that it's one of the primary signaling inputs. So it's less communicative and more, more like recovery deficiency based. Mm. And if your balance in your soil is right, then there isn't really a place for that. It's like something you kind of bring in as a band-aid to kind of mend like a, a gap in your nutrition and carry you through. That's kind of more how I felt about it. And mm. I, I do 
think that it's helping with uh, some of the purpling stems if if that's like a thing that I'm experiencing that time. But when my soil is on point, I don't really have that issue to deal with and I don't need that uh, assistance. But I haven't done like thorough side by sides to be like sure that it's making a difference um, in my experience. Mm. No, that's that's amazing, man. You know, I was curious because, of course, whenever I hear anything new, I'm like, fuck it. Let me try it. Right. And so I did a side by side. I didn't notice anything too different, but, but, you know, like part of me is like, well, you know, who knows if it's maybe making the plant happier in some way that maybe gets, you know, trans uh, translated in the final product where then the experience is a little bit different. Cause maybe the plant was like, Hey, I was a little hungry and you gave me that thing and it helped. And so maybe I didn't give you more yield, but like the energy is better in the final product, you know, who really knows, but one of the things that, you know, I love about KNF and, and just organic gardening overall and organic farming is it's kind of the, you know, if we really get down to the belief system around salt-based nutrients versus the uh, belief system surrounding organic farming, and this is not a judgmental thing by any means, but it's just like, what do salt-based nutrients try to say in terms of a belief system? What I believe they say is they say, we're smarter than nature. We figured out how to do this and we can replicate this. This is easy. Man can easily replicate what nature is, right? And we know that you know, the plant's roots are calling for so many different things at all different times that there's really no way with salt-based nutrients to be able to give that individual care moment by moment as to what that plant is calling for. Yet, if we look at more organic farming and Korean natural farming, we're almost in service of the earth saying, hey, we're stewards of this planet. We love what the earth does and we do not pretend for a second that we could replicate it. So instead of working against the tide, we're going to work with the tide. We're going to find the ways in which we can take nature replicate it, be able to expand upon it with IMO and things like this, be able to ferment things and and almost create these super solutions of natural processes that we can then give back to the earth. And so I personally, this is my own ethos with it, my own belief system is that the earth and the plants and the soil that you're doing this with, they just seem happier than salt grows. I mean, I worked at a dispensary with thousands of plants that were being grown with salt-based nutrients. And I would go in there, man. And, and, you know, again, like I'm a pretty spiritual person. So like I was pretty in tune with what I would feel when I would go in there, but there would just be a lot of darkness. Now, again, there's a lot of EMFs and there's a lot of different things going on, but it just felt like the plants knew they were just on the chopping block. Like, oh, we're only getting grown in cocoa core with these shitty salt-based nutrients so we can get harvested and people can make money from us. And it just kind of seemed like this really inauthentic relationship. And uh, I just knew and I knew the first time I ever grew organic, I was never going to go back. But that's when I knew I would never grow in the industry uh, in Massachusetts because the crazy thing about Massachusetts, man, and this is going to be fucking wild uh, when you hear this, if you haven't heard this yet, is that think about this, dude. The people that make the laws here don't even know enough to separate beneficial versus harmful bacteria. Like they literally do not distinguish between the two. So if you spray a lab, right? Lactic acid bacteria for everyone listening. If you spray a lab in your room and then they happen to come in and test, they're going to fail you for quote unquote mold and potentially even shut down your facility for having mold there. When in reality, they don't know the difference between harmful and beneficial bacteria. And I think that's fucking crazy. And that's why no one grows organically here because they're all terrified. And so they grow in these like clean room solutions and this monoculture type system, which of course is going to bring in more pests, diseases, et cetera. So it's just insane, man. That's why I love the way Maine's got it set up because 
it seems like, because I know a lot of different growers up there that grow similar to you, right? KNF, organic of some sort. And it just seems like they're much more conducive to like, hey, you know what? Nature wouldn't do this if it was terrible because nature's a perfected system, you know, in terms of like it's been going for this many years. So like these beneficial microbes, maybe soft dog knowledge, maybe they're important in the system. You know, it's very interesting. Yeah, dude. Well said. And that is crazy. I didn't know that they could come in during a grow and do microbial testing mid grow. That's oh, yeah. awful. I mean, yeah, it's terrible. The whole sterile plant thing, man. I just hate the sterile plant vibe. Like that whole thing just wigs me out. Oh, it's terrible, man. You know, because essentially what you're saying is like, fingers crossed. And if anything happens, if we get spider mites, whatever, we got to nuke the entire facility and then everything comes down. And I mean, I was a part of this, right? Like at the dispensary, I won't mention names or what happened, but you know, problems happen, right? And when you're growing organically and you maybe you're doing polyculture or you're doing beds and you have all the plants communicating together through the mycorrhizae fungal networks, you know, it's much easier to get through um, even an infestation of say spider mites or something, because then you're going to be able to release beneficial bugs. You're going to have natural companion plants that are there to help the, the good bugs feed on while they're attacking the bad bugs. And so it's like, it's replicating nature. You know, when in a salt-based system where everything's sterile, if they get an infestation of say powdery mildew or spider mites, I mean, it's fucking over, you know, like they're going to lose all the plants. They're potentially going to go out of business because their entire cash crop just went down. It's so stressful, man. And that stress, I, I, I really believe that our energy as cultivators gets directly uploaded into the final product of the plant. And I think that's one of the main reasons that so many people are experiencing anxiety in these types of things. There's many different reasons, but I think one of them is that people that are working at these dispensaries, especially at these MSOs and these bigger companies, they're not getting paid much. They're worried about losing their job. They're getting, they're having to do grunt work all day. And that energy is coming off onto the final product. Plus the owners who are usually finance or, you know, essentially Chad and Brad's, which, you know, no judgment, but again, like it's just a really weird energy to have in a cannabis place. You know, it's almost like if cops started growing cannabis, right? Like that kind of energy, it's just pretty weird. (laughs) 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 Well, man, you know, one of the things I'd love to get into is, with you, how do you pick your genetics? Because I know you go for some very unique genetics. And I think this is something that I love chatting about because, you know, with people getting into growing cannabis, sometimes like, again, there is no user manual out there for like how to look at cannabis. I mean, there's no really right or wrong way, right? Some people want high THC. They want the show strains. Some people more like me and you want very unique and very just like, what is that? You know, that kind of stuff. But I'm curious, like, how do you pick the strains that you go for? Like, what are the characteristics you look for when you're picking strains? Because I imagine for someone listening, they might go, oh, I never thought about it that way. I want to take that on. So I'm curious what you would say there. Um, Yeah. So I start with like a big zoom out, right? So from the largest zoom out perspective, the goal for me is to find the cannabis plants that are at the furthest reaching of the cannabis spectrum. So Mm. I might want something that is completely debilitating, knockout, insomnia cure kind of thing. And then I might also want something that is uh, super euphoric. And I want those flavors to also be extremely different from each other. Um, And I want to start pushing the boundaries of how far apart I can think to get the spectrum of plants that I know. Mm. Um, And that is kind of a helpful skill building exercise that you can do passively when you're thinking about, Oh, remember that one time I was high like this 
How the mm. fuck did that happen? How did I get the giggles? <laughs> like, where did the giggles come from? What strain was that? Was it the way they grew it? Um, different things like that is a cool place to start. And then taking those extremes and sometimes looking at what is already working. Mm. So, uh, so like for, so let's see, like, um, what's a decent, so like dosido do is a plant that I love. Everybody is familiar with it. It's a great plant, but it's also, it could be a little like run of the mill, right? It mm. can be a little like, it's so normal that it's like, it isn't going to give you market um, individuality, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's growing do -si -do. If You go to a store and you're like, I got a do, -si -do to sell you. They're going to make, we already have do, -si -do. Go take a hike, right? <laughs> but if you have do, -si -do cross to like, uh, let's say you have like a Bubba Kush do, -si -do cross. Mm. And now someone that's old school is like, oh, I remember Bubba Kush. What's Dosido? -si -do? And someone that's new school is like, oh, I remember Dosido. -si -do. What's Bubba Kush? Mm. And you're also able to make a more sedating version of Dosido. -si -do. Like now you can start to build your own plants that different people have different like familiarities with what it is already. And, and you can confidently select one, you know, hopefully, you know, oftentimes I just throw out everything, but you're hoping to select something that has that relaxation, uh, you know, borderline narcotic slash uh, insomnia driven plant. And that would kind of fit into your portfolio in a certain way. Mm. Um, a lot of times what I'll do, like in this example, is I might get Dosido crossed to a bunch of different things mm. and hunt through them all because you don't really know what Dosido is until you grow it. And even if you've grown Dosido, you don't know how it breeds. So you might want to get Dosido crossed to bubble gum, Dosido crossed to Bubba Kush and Dosido crossed it like some other relaxing indica and sift through all of them and be like, oh, I like, like this one. These were terrible. And I like this other one. And, and you kind of can start to build a library that way. I like to get things that are interrelated and grow them all out together and then learn about that gene pool because that's R&D that you're doing to help you with the next time you make up this completely fictional, you know, game of what are the seeds going to look like when I grow them, right? Because that's really mm. what it is. It's, it's super fictional. Hello, everybody. I hope you are all enjoying the show. I wanted to stop by and fill you in on our brand new, completely free to join Facebook community called the Highly Optimized Ceremony Circle. I imagine many of you are aware of the newest creation within Highly Optimized, which is the Connect with Cannabis program. Alex and I are having so much fun empowering health and wellness professionals with the skill set of facilitating conscious cannabis and helping them up-level their facilitation practice that we wanted to create a space where anyone could join to ask questions, receive free information on how to work with cannabis in the way we teach in the program, and be able to gain clarity around how to get the best results with their clients in order to become financially independent in their health and wellness practice. To join, hop over to the link in our Instagram bio and send us a request. It is our intention to assist as many health and wellness professionals as possible in the important work they are doing in the world. And if you are looking to join a community of like-minded individuals just like you, who are passionate about helping their clients achieve the highest quality of life possible, the highly optimized ceremony circle is for you. I am looking forward to speaking with all of you in the group. And as always, enjoy the show. No, I love that, man. That was a beautiful answer. And, you know, it's really cool because you mentioned Dosido. One of my favorite crosses of all time is Dosido and Gelato. You know, Gelato, it's, I mean, from in-house too. I mean, it, the, the challenge was, 
you know, with any, uh, you know, S1 or something, you're going to get a little bit of, at least from my experience and maybe not with every company, but what I've experienced is in-house has some really dank gear, but everything Hermes just a little bit, but like Delato is just so nice that I'm like, I don't even care. Like I'll take one seat or two. I don't, I don't really care, but it's, but it's interesting though, because you mentioned that, you know, I've grown other, uh, crosses of gelato and not liked them nearly as much. There's something about that dozy dough. And it's just funny. You brought up dozy dough of all strains, but you know, uh, I remember when we were at, uh, was it harvest cup? Did you come down for harvest cup? Was that the thing we went to um, together when we got the chem dog things or what was that? Or did you, or did I buy that no, for no. you? And then yeah, you, you bought those for yeah. me. I sent you some money and you got gotcha. that for me, which gotcha. was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, wait, were you there in Boston? I was like, I don't know. I'm getting them all confused, but. And but like, I have been instance, down there enough too, that I was confused as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A long time. So long many memories, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, man. Cause I still have my pack of dog head. And I remember asking and you were like, Hey, there's some good ones, but they're going to be all over the place. Like it's almost like higher phenotypic variation. And, you know, for you, you can handle that kind of thing as you have the space, right. And the ability to do it. But I was like, okay, where I'm just growing a couple, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to really dive into that pack full on. But one of the strains that, you know, I absolutely am obsessed with is Tahiti lime from archive seeds. I don't know if you've heard of that before. They call it, um, uh, it was a cross of Skittles, Gelato 33 and lemon lime line, which now they're, they're calling part of that Moonbow. So I think it's Moonbow crossed with lemon lime line, but dude, I mean, I'm talking, you know, when, when I popped this, it was just the best, best, like it literally smelled like a lemon peel cut. And it really reminded me of the old lemon G like the, like the early nineties lemon G flavor where it literally just smelled like you were smelling all yellow Skittles. Like it was just that it was this wild, yeah. wild flavor. And it's just so fun. Like, I think that's one of my favorite aspects about cultivating uh, cannabis is that you never know what you're going to get. You know, like I grew up opening packs of Pokemon cards, not because I was even really worried about what card I would get, because it was so interesting to open the pack and never know what was in there. There could be a Charizard or there could be like, you know, five element cards and you wouldn't get anything. Right. And so, you know, for me, like my modern day Pokemon cards are seeds, right? Like I pop them. I never know what I'm going to get. Is this one I'm popping right now going to be my favorite plant of all time? And maybe it's just sitting right here in my collection. And I had no idea it was going to be that experience. It's just, it's so much fun, man. And, you know, I'm curious for you, like if you had to really think about what your favorite part of cultivating cannabis is, what would you say? Wow. <laughs> Dropping um, the heat on you. <laughs> yeah, man. That, I mean, they're, uh, hmm. <laughs> it's hard, right? <laughs> Yeah, dude, that's super hard. I honestly having like a big bed of pheno hunted, like a huge pheno hunt plant, and going through and trying to figure out the minute differences between siblings is mm -hmm. definitely up there. Um, <laughs> it's it's definitely way up there. Uh, the, having the greenhouse full of plants in the ground wow. though is like really hard to beat when they start getting like as big as me and I'm not doing anything like I, inside you're just so much more like doing, you know, you're like, I, yeah, you're power bill. I did yeah. all this stuff, but like outside you're like, I didn't do anything. And this is just amazing how much it's thriving. Mm. Um, so I, I would say that like seeing a passively grown greenhouse, absolutely just like, taking over the land and looking through some some fresh like pheno hunt uh whether that's a case or two of jars or 
looking through all those different plants is is pretty high on the list. Yeah. Mm. Dude, you know, it's so funny, man. I would agree. Like my two favorite things, of course, growing outside. Oh my God. I mean, I have some clients that are able to do so here in mass and it's just unbelievable seeing even like in Maine or, you know, Massachusetts. I mean, for a long time, I thought, oh, plants can only get so big in mass and in the Northeast. And I'm like, well, I was definitely wrong there. And I was happy to be wrong. And uh, they can get so big. And, you know, it's, it's, there is something very unique about having a plant in the ground and watching nature do its thing. And it really, it kind of is synonymous with like seeing a horse run in the open field versus seeing it caged. You know what I mean? Like not caged, but like, yeah. uh, in like a farm, we you know with fences, put it that way. Um, where it's really able to like, you know, you're able to see that majestic creature do its thing. And I think for me, like, my two favorite things, number one, pheno hunting, like you said, just going through different varieties and things like that. Second one, which is going to be funny, is trellising. Like not not putting up the trellis, but like as things are growing through and you just get to walk around, listen to the music and you're putting everything through. It's this like little like meticulous process. I love that. Because I think it's like one of the areas where we as growers get to be a little bit of, I mean, of course, it's a whole form of, you know, artistry, but I think that form is really cool because you're like, well, how do I want this plant to go? This is a taller plant. So I'm going to want to spread it out. So this other plant's got to be a little farther over. And it's like, it's playing Tetris in a way. It's super fun. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to check with you on, because I know that, you know, you handle this and of course, growing in Maine, I mean, aside from maybe Washington or Oregon. I don't think there's any, you know, more challenging place to grow outdoors, maybe Alaska, uh, you know, okay, there's a couple more places, but in the continental US, I don't think there's many more places that are harder to grow. And I think one of the things that, you know, uh, some of my clients have struggled with in the past, and I've given them some things with LED and whatnot on, um, and some, a lot of people struggle with is powdery mildew, right? Like around September, October. And because growth season is starting right now, I would love if we could go over that and maybe we'll have time to go over a couple other you know common issues people see with specifically outdoor growing um but the first one powdery mildew like what would you suggest if someone is growing you know not anything crazy like a durban poison that's going to be a 12 to 16 week flower time but something around eight or ten weeks but we know here usually the second week of august things start and say around september the rainy season starts happening what do you do to keep powdery mildew at bay so i have never seen powdery mildew on my cannabis plants <laughs> Dude, um, that speaks for K yeah. and F. <laughs> I have had it on clover that is like under and next to my cannabis plants. And I've had it on all sorts of vegetables in the greenhouse that I grow my cannabis on, but I've never had powdery mildew on any of my cannabis. Um, wow. so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm just lucky, but I do think that labs is a really good protocol for uh powdery mildew from what i've heard from other people mm. and liquid imo is always better than labs mm. so if you can use liquid imo and uh but labs is a perfectly good option yeah it's similar to like they spray milk they'll spray like raw milk on uh cucumber greenhouses like that's a they take milk and dilute it with water and then spray it on greenhouses uh for cucumber production it's a pretty common powdery mildew remedy and so mm. that's similar but labs is better but mm. has similar properties gotcha yeah you know it's funny man you know for everyone listening definitely listen to quinn saying because essentially what he's saying is when he's able to prevent those things before they happen by by working with nature and i really feel that's what's happening because you know, I've known some other outdoor growers who have spoken to that as well. Like I'm doing KNF, I'm using foliar treatments of LEB, of liquid IMO, and I just don't handle, I just don't deal with those issues. And I think one of the other common things that 
I don't know if does Maine get spider mites and things like that. Like I don't know if those. Yeah, places yeah. I, spider mites is definitely one of my uh, one of my uh, most impressive foes. I would mm. say we're definitely uh, you know <laughs> Doing it's, the dance. it's like yeah, it's 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 my true Joker to my Batman. Um, mm. It's it's a good one, but um, mm. yeah, I, I've gotten pretty good at. Uh, I've learned a lot from it and uh, yeah, they're naturally outside. So yeah. they'll eventually just come inside, but yeah, persimilis work really great. There's mm. these um, nipple tops you can get. Uh, so if you go through beneficial insectary, which I highly recommend and you get, they have vials that they sell, which are like a smaller amount than some of the bigger bottles, but the vials actually come with a little like nipple top, like almost like a saline spray would to, to blast up your nose. Mm. And um, you take the lid off and the, the persimilis always want to go to the highest point they can. So they mm-hmm. all climb out and they swarm on the top of this nipple top. And you can just go and wipe it on the leaves of the plants anywhere you see problems mm. um, without having any residue, like no vermiculite, no wood shavings. Um, mm. So that's something that's really fucking nice um, that I've had really good success with. And switching distributors has made a big difference. A lot of these distributors are secondhand distributors. So they're buying stuff from copper biological or beneficial insectary. And then they're trying to resell it to you while they're holding it. And the quality just is not there. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing, man. You know, it's so cool. Like, I'm curious, do you uh, either inside or outside, do you do any companion planting or like uh, any other types of plants around like polyculture, things like that? Have you experimented with that at all? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I do a lot of uh, white clover, which um, has its advantages and disadvantages. Mm. So yeah, so when thinking about companion planting, there's a huge array. So like, uh, there's indicator plants, right, which are plants that tell you when there's a problem. So like, mm-hmm. oh, I can plant white clover and the spider mites will eat the white clover before they eat my cannabis. So that's yep. like an indicator plant, but it will also lure spider mites. So it's a it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of different, like uh, Elysium is something that I like to use outside. It attracts hover mo- uh, hoverflies. Hoverflies are like, a, they will just eat, they will parasitize aphids. Mm. Um so there's different things like that. I just planted strawberries in my indoor beds. So I'm really excited to like grow strawberries. Oh. I've grown green beans inside. I've gone through a few different things. I'm currently like dialing back the clover and trying to play with some other things. Mm. Um, like buck is a pretty simple, safe thing to grow. It's a really delicate grass that you can easily break and fold over but outside, I, I, there's got to be six. There was probably sixty species of plants in my greenhouse last year. I just uh, let the natural plants come in, and then I planted like one third uh, white Dutch clover, and then I planted like a um, like a pollinator blend, and then I also planted all my vegetables. So I grew mm. like cucumbers, zucchinis, pumpkins, butternut squash, tomatoes corn beans you know just like as much stuff as i could a bunch of stuff died i can't grow brassicas because of the fungal dominance in my soil so like yeah. all the broccoli cauliflower cabbage immediately died um, <laughs> so yeah so living and learning um, yes. but outside it's like the variety is the name of the game mm. inside it's 
you want to be a little it's not it's not necessarily the main yeah. game you want to be want much more species. precise <laughs> yeah 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 you don't want to draw things in from outside that weren't going to be there before yeah um i really like a living mulch mm-hmm. um a lot of people don't use a living mulch and that's okay um but i recommend like something that is low to the ground and creeping i'm going to be playing with some purseline to try that out mm. um but yeah, indoor like living mulch systems are, I would say, something that isn't perfected yet, and I'm mm. still uh, still working on. But outside, it seems to just be like the more the merrier. Oh yeah, that's what I've noticed too. You know, I've done living mulch layers before. I always have a dead mulch layer of usually barley straw, and sometimes uh, when I get it from Build a Soil, they kind of just like sprout, and so I have a little bit of a living mulch layer, but. You know, it's like these tall, I, I mean, I imagine it's barley. I don't really know what it is, but, you know, it'll be tall and sometimes it'll break open and it'll make me sneeze a lot. So <laughs> I realized real quick, I'm like, all right, I got to pull that out of there. But yeah, I had heard a lot of people on Grass City way long ago talk about like, hey, you know, if you're doing a small indoor grow, it might not be, you know, worth it to do a living mulch layer. If you're doing beds, like I know you have beds, right? Like the living mulch layer makes a little more sense. But if you're doing individual containers or something, just go dead mulch, should be fine. And uh, so I'm really glad you brought that up, the difference between living in dead mulches and uh, what you've noticed with them. And, you know, I'm curious, man, you know, after everyone hearing all this amazing stuff about uh, what you do and, you know, uh, how you got into growing and all the different little tips and tricks you have, you know, if anyone is around uh, Maine, uh, of course, they'll only be able to get it if they go to Maine. But what are some of the places you work with in, say, Portland and like, you know, the bigger cities that people might be able to go and find your stuff there? Because you're, you know, part of the legal um, the legal industry there and people can try your stuff and buy it at some local dispensary. So I'd love for, if you could drop some of those names. Yeah. Yeah. So if I kind of start, I guess, like south and work north, um, mm-hmm. there is a top shelf. Uh, top shelf care is a delivery service that I work with. They're pretty cool. Yeah, guys, super nice that, that's over there. Uh, so they do like delivery and stuff. There is, there's a kind guy uh, in Biddeford. That's a really nice place. I should have a weed maps thing soon. I'm just like busy farming and I forget yeah. to be a technological <laughs> person. Um, but yeah, kind guy, kind guy's a really cool place down in Biddeford. Uh, and then if you keep going to Portland, Beach Boys has like three locations in and around Portland. They're a really awesome store with a really great selection. Um, really nice people. Let's see, Elevated Remedies is over coastal uh, in the Brunswick area. Um, they're pretty sweet. And yeah, I guess those are like most of my normal stores. I certainly dip in and out of a lot of other stores, but uh, yeah, that's a pretty good chunk. Um, and you can always just, you know, try to shoot me a message and ask me who might have weed and I'll tell you who to call because I don't really know, but I know who <laughs> I have weed. I don't know if they do have weed all the time. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's amazing, man. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Where can people find you if they want to hit you up for any, you know, just to, uh, for anything that was in this podcast, you know, whether it's to find some of your cannabis, uh, whether it's to ask you questions, where can people find you? Where are you most active? Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram. I don't really do Facebook. Professor three underscores and then Q is is my Instagram handle. Awesome. Beautiful, man. And I got one last question for you, Quinn, if you're up for it. What do you say? Cool. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. If someone listening could only make one change to highly optimize their life, what would Quinn Caliendo suggest that change be? Wow. Um, I would <laughs> recommend 
um, <laughs> that you, Ooh, man, this is a close one. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to go with this. Okay. So, uh, Sadhguru is a yogi that I follow mm. and have completed multiple, uh, courses through him. He's also one of the biggest, I think he's got two of the five largest ecological movements. Like he did a huge save the river movement in India and a planting trees. They planted almost a billion trees uh, wow. in India as well. And he's now the person doing the save the soil movement. Mm. Um, but he also has a bunch of yogic sciences and things, classes that you can take um, that I highly recommend to get your uh, focus and spirituality and enjoying your life to the maximum figured out first. Mm. And then you can go and attack all this other stuff. So I think oh. that, I think that's my answer. I love that, man. You know, Sadhguru is a amazing individual and I've learned a lot from him as well. So, uh, you know, as a wise man once said, game recognize game, my friend. <laughs> I love Sadhguru. <laughs> okay, guys. When I saw Quinn posting some clips of him going on podcasts recently, I knew I wanted to have him on. The world of boutique organic grown cannabis is such a small subset of what we know to be the cannabis industry as a whole. And anytime I can have someone on who shares my love for this realm, and can speak to the intricacies within it, I buy that ticket and I take that ride. And my hope for all of you listening is that the passion you felt Quinn and I share rubs off on you and allows you to begin questioning what it would be like to try growing your own organic cannabis. For me, when I asked myself that question a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, my life changed forever. And the amount of beauty, enjoyment, and fulfillment I have received from communing with the earth and the cannabis plant is something I truly hope each of you get to experience within your life. For anyone looking to get in touch with Quinn and stay up to date on all of the amazing things he is up to, make sure you check out the show notes where I will be listing exactly where you can find him to stay in touch. Quinn, thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom with us on the show today, for being brave enough to pave your own path and speak to the experience within being an entrepreneur, and for being an inspiration in my life to continue working with the earth and until next time, my brother, journey well, be well, and much love over to you. Namaste. What is up, everybody? I hope you are all enjoying the show, and I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches that build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done-for-you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now, as a former online fitness coach, Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now, you guys know that delegation is a business superpower, and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders with a Z on the end.com so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out, 
and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience, develop our brand identity, build and design a custom branded webpage, professionally edit our program video content, custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now, and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, dot com, and book your complimentary call today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show, and I'm wishing you the best day ever.